The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Welcome to Truth Transforms. Join in for spiritually enlightening discussion and the practical application of new thought principles. Here's your host, Reverend Galen McDowell. Hello. Welcome to Truth Transforms. I am your host, Galen McDowell, and I'm the executive minister, senior assistant minister, and the director of the Johnny Coleman Institute at Christ Universal Temple. Today, I'm continuing my series on Wayne Dyer's book, The Power of Intention, and I'm finishing up the lesson on viewing intention from a new perspective, which is the first chapter. So last week, I gave a lot of foundational information about how this actually works, and I think it's important for you to recognize that this book is extremely important. I would highly recommend that you get the book and you listen and work with this material as I am teaching it online. Because what will end up happening is this, as you listen to me, as you read, as you reflect, as you pray and meditate about what you're receiving, you'll receive new insight about how you need to work it. And as Reverend Coleman used to always say, it works if you work it. So we want to make sure that we're working it. We want to make sure that we're doing all that we can do to make sure that we are maintaining a consciousness of wholeness. So let's get to it. Let's get right to the lesson. So today we're starting off on page 11. I have the original hardcover of the book and I want to just give the context of yet again, of this lesson for me, what's been sitting on my soul is a statement by one of my spiritual fathers, the Reverend Herbert Lassiter, who was uh, at one point the assistant minister of Christ Universal Temple, who went on to start his own ministry with his wife. His wife is the senior minister, Reverend Emma Luster Lassiter. But anyway, he said to me about 20 years ago, Galen, it's easier to be a presenter of truth than it is to be a practitioner of truth. And that statement has been weighing on my soul because it's really important as a metaphysician to be a person who can demonstrate at whatever level of your understanding what you claim to proclaim. It's really important to make sure that we have some results, not because of ego-based needs, but because the mathematician puts the math formulas together to be able to produce certain results, right? If you're a person... And that math might be geometry. It might be trigonometry. It might be algebra. It might be basic two plus two equals four. But the principle works properly when you work the principle. And what we're saying is that life has spiritual principles and laws that support and sustain it. Therefore, when we understand the ways and movements of spirit, we can better express life in our everyday lives. All right. So on page 11, he talks about holding on the trolley strap and how, you know, talking about one of his earliest memories is being on the streetcar with his mother and it was hand straps for people to hold on to. And the trolley just took them where they needed to go, but he was too big. I mean, too small for it. So he would imagine himself being lifted up so he can hold the trolley and being able to be able to be taken wherever he needed to be taken through the power of the streetcar trolley or streetcar, I guess, trolley and streetcar. I don't know if it's the same thing or not. 
So he's using that as a as a context for the power of intention. And remember, he's teaching the power of intention almost like most people would teach grace. There's a power. There's an intention. There's a there's a universal drive and desire to show up and express its goodness in manifestation. In the UFBL, the Universal Foundation for Better Living, we say that we believe that it is God's will that every individual on the face of this earth should live a healthy, happy, and prosperous life. Now, that's important because when we understand that God's will, God's will is consistent with God's essential character, is for all, all, that's some, all of us to live a healthy, happy, and prosperous life. That means that when we are in alignment or in the flow of God, we're in the alignment of God's will. So it's not God's will for me to suffer. It's not God's will for you to suffer. It's not God's will for you to be sick. It's not God's will for you to be broke. It's not God's will for you to be unhappy. It's not God's will for you to be unfulfilled. It's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. All right. So let's step into what he calls the four steps to intention, the four steps to intention. And then really let's drill down on it. So he wrote page 12, activating your power of intention is a process of connecting with your natural self and letting go of total ego identification. The process takes place in four stages. Number one, discipline is the first stage. Learning a new task requires training your body to perform as your thoughts desire. So eliminating ego identification doesn't mean disconnecting from your relationship with your body, but rather training your body to activate those desires. You do that with practice, exercise, non-toxic habits, healthy foods, and so on. So if you can't discipline yourself, it's very difficult to work anything. It doesn't make a difference what you want to learn. Discipline is going to be a part of the process. I was at the gym yesterday, and one of the things I noticed, because uh, I got in, got right to it, got on the treadmill, and there were some new people there that were working with the trainers. So the trainers were explaining, you know, if you're going to get a trainer, these are the things we're going to do. We're going to do the treadmill. We're going to do the whatever the weights. We're going to stretch. We're going to run. We're going to do all these different things. And the thing that I kept thinking about was, when you have a trainer, and I don't have a trainer, I just go work out. You have to be able to have discipline because, first of all, the discipline to get up and go. Then the discipline to get up and go consistently. And then the discipline to get up and go and follow directions as given. Then the discipline to go home and do whatever the trainer tells you to do when you're home. Then uh, follow if they give you a diet plan or anything of that nature to follow the plan that's been given. It requires a lot of discipline. And if you want your life to turn around and get more in the flow of God's good, you have to be able to discipline yourself. There's no other way for me to say it. Your discipline, your consistent discipline will trump skill. If you just keep showing up now, if you have developed a high skill in something and then you have discipline, uh, then you're, then you're, you're in rare air. You know, this is what, uh, 
in the NBA, the basketball terms, we call it the Mamba mentality. Kobe Bryant was known for the Mamba mentality. He was going to outwork everybody. He was exceptionally disciplined. I remember a story he told where, you know, the guys, when they showed up in certain cities, Chicago, Miami, New York, and they wanted to party the day before the game. They wanted to go out to the clubs, drinking, partying. And Kobe was known for getting up before sunrise and practicing for hours before any official practice or run through for the game. So he told the guys, Hey, if you want to party, that's great, but just be ready and know that I'm going to be knocking at your door on your door at five in the morning. And what's interesting was he went out, drank with the guys, party, probably got in really late. A couple of hours later, he was knocking on his teammates, hotel room doors. Hey, it's time to get up because you, you said you would come with me to practice. If I came with you and party, that's discipline. That's discipline. You have to build new habits, new practices that are so ingrained that they become subconscious that your that your mind and body won't let you get away with not doing them. All right. Number two, wisdom is the second stage. He wrote, wisdom combined with discipline fosters your ability to focus and be patient as you harmonize your thoughts, your intellect, and your feelings with the work of your body. We send children off to school telling them, be disciplined and use your head and call this education, but it falls short of mastery. Why? Okay. So, because it's just a stage of it. The reason why I fall short of mastery, because it's not the whole thing. Now, when you have wisdom and discipline, you're further along. Why? Because I define wisdom this way. He doesn't do it, define it this way. This is my definition. Discipline is knowing what? What to do. That's it. Understanding is knowing why. Wisdom is knowing what? You can have an intuitive hit about what you should do without having all of the background about why you should be doing a thing. But recognizing that there's an omniscience and all wisdom that resides within you, through you, as you, that can be relied upon. So when you combine wisdom with discipline, it makes you more powerful. Now, number three, love. Love is the third stage. He wrote, after disciplining the body with wisdom and intellectually studying a task, this process of mastery involves loving what you do and doing what you love. In the world of sales, I call it falling in love with what you're offering and then selling your love or enthusiasm to potential customers. When learning to play tennis, it involves practicing all of the strokes while studying strategies for playing the game. It also involves enjoying the feeling of hitting the ball and being on the tennis court and everything else about the game. So when you're doing what you love, it puts you in the zone. Gay Hendricks calls it the genius zone. When you get to the stage where you're fully engaged, fully present, fully powerful, you know, it's the quarterback that, that makes every throw. It's the batter that's consistently hitting the home runs. It's the basketball player like the Stephen Curry who just gets hot and he can hit the three-point shot from anywhere. It's Serena Williams 
hitting every backhand, every serve. It's the zone. And we all have the ability to be in the zone when it's connected to doing something that we truly love. This is why when people do stuff that they love, they, they lose track of time. They're just connected in the present moment. When you watch a child play and, and they're doing something that they really love to do, notice the level of detail and care and passion that's involved with what they do. I was joking with one of my younger brothers and we were talking about playing basketball on the, at the park all day, running four court games. And for those who are, you know, maybe not a part of the, the culture of, of Chicago basketball, when you play basketball, your five on five for court, you stay on the court until you lose. And then when the, every time a team loses, somebody else has next. And then their five comes on and they have to beat you until you get off. And sometimes when you lose, you might have a next three or four next down the line. And your team gets right back on the court and you play again. And we were talking about how, because we loved it, all the thing we did was go get a drink of water from the park fountain. And we got right back up and went right back to playing basketball because it wasn't about the hunger. It wasn't about the sweat. It wasn't about using up all of our muscle energy. It was about the love of the game. We weren't getting paid to do it. We just love to do it. When you're in love space, you're in powerful space. This is why doing what you love is so important. Even if you have to go and volunteer and do it. If you have a job right now that you don't love, I'm not going to tell you to go quit your job. You have responsibilities. What I will say is, Figure out how you can even volunteer to do what you love, even if it's only for a few hours a week, one hour a week. Get back into what you love. It opens you up to being in the flow of your own good. Then Wayne Dyer said the fourth step to intuition is surrender. He wrote, this is the place of intention. This is where your body and your mind are running the show and you move into intent. Then he quotes Carlos Castaneda, who wrote, in the universe, there is an immeasurable, indescribable force which shamans call intent. And absolutely everything that exists in the entire cosmos is attached to intent by a connecting link. Now think about it. You are connected to what already is. You're connected to what already works. You're connected to what already creates. You're connected to what already heals. You're connected to what already sustains. You're connected to what already transforms. This is why, you know, for many years at Christ Universal Temple, we would start our service off by saying, I am one with God. I am one with all people. I am one with all life. I am one with the one. It makes a difference. All right. So he went on to write on page 13. When you surrender, you lighten up and can consult with your infinite soul. Then the power of intention becomes available to take you wherever you feel destined to go. You don't have to create the way. But you have to be in tune with the way. This is really 
the meaning of the gospel of John scripture when people try to personalize it only around the human man, Jesus, instead of the Christ idea that he so perfectly manifested. He said in the gospel of John, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the father, but by me. When we understand the metaphysics of that statement, and by the way, he spoke in Aramaic and there's no definite article. The word the is not in Aramaic, according to Dr. Rocco Erico, who's like the top Aramaic expert in the United States. He wrote, so he would say, I am way, I am truth, I am life. That's what it really would have said. That's how it would have been stated by Jesus. I am truth, I am way, I am life. But we use the definite article to make it make sense in English. But sometimes when we make things make sense in English, we strip it of the essence of what it meant in its own language. But that's translation issues, and it goes across every language when you translate one language to another. Now, no one comes to the Father but by me. Is, is that only talking about the, the Jesus of Nazareth, or is it talking about the Christ power and presence that was so fully expressed through Jesus that he was talking about, unless you are willing to go through the son of God in you, the Christ in you, the Christ pattern in you, the Christ mind in you, you can't know properly this power of intention that Jesus called the father. It's just something to think about. So he went on to write all of this talk of intention and surrender may cause you to question where your free will fits in. You might be inclined to conclude that free will is non-existent or that you become whatever your program dictates. So let us take a look at your will and, and how it fits into this new view of intention. As you read the next two sections, keep an open mind, even if you read conflicts with what you believed all of your life. So let's deal with the paradox. Intention and your free will are a paradox, just like God is law and God is love. That's a paradox. All right. A paradox is a seemingly absurd or contradictory statement, even if well-founded, all right? Intention and free will certainly qualify as being paradoxical. They conflict with meaning a preconceived notion of what's reasonable or possible. How can you, pos how can you possess free will and also have intention shaping your body and your potential? You confuse this, you fuse, uh, you confuse this, dichotomy by choosing to believe in the infinity of intention and in your capacity to exercise free will. So in other words, you have the power, the potentiality, you have the possibility, but you still have to choose. If you look at this power of intention, this presence of God, this divine mind is unlimited possibility and infinite potentiality then you can have a, and then you have to choose. Even as it's living its life through you, you still have to choose. You will understand the paradox. Unlimited possibility. Infinite potentiality. And yet I still have to choose. That's how powerful we are. All right. All right. So let me turn to the page. I'm going to read line for line. 
So it wrote, somehow you must travel in thought beyond the idea of your individual existence to the idea of a unity of universal being. And then beyond this to the idea of a universal energy. This is key. A universal energy. God is not a person. God is not a person with limited characteristics. God is not a superhuman-like being with a body and a beard and all the other stuff that we see on TV. God is not male or female. God is not a person. When we get to the space of understanding a term that we use in our basic truth principles class here at Christ Universal Temple and the Johnny Coleman Institute, we teach people a basic definition to help them expand their thinking. God is invisible energy intelligence. That does not mean in its totality, but just to get people outside of their regular thinking. God is invisible energy intelligence. Because you can't wrap, you can't wrap your old images around invisible energy intelligence. And that's why it works. So I'm looking at the clock and it's about time for us to take a break. So we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with Truth Transforms. Welcome back to Truth Transforms. I'm still in the midst of teaching the book, The Power of Intention by Dr. Wayne Dyer. We're working with this first chapter, viewing intention from a new perspective, and we've laid down some foundation, and now it's time to put lay down some more foundation because we're still in the first chapter. He went on to write, and we're talking about God as universal energy, as this power of intention, as invisible energy intelligence. He went on to write. When you think of a part of a whole being in one place and a part in another, you've lost the idea of unity. At any, he said, get this, at any moment in time, all spirit is concentrated at the point where you focus your attention. Therefore, you can consolidate all creative energy at any, at a given moment in time. This is your free will at work. What does this mean? Someone wrote, God's 
center is everywhere and circumference is nowhere. What that means is the fullness and allness of God is right where you are. There's unlimited potential. There's infinite potentiality. What your consciousness does, what your mind does, is it forms and shapes this universal substance, this universal energy, this unlimited possibility with this infinite potentiality into definite things. So as you focus your attention, as you concentrate, you are actually forming and shaping the infinite into something that is finite, a finite experience. This is why Reverend Ike says you must be definite with the infinite. When you're definite, you're creating. Being definite is a creative act. Choosing is a creative act. Imaging in your mind, seeing the picture, speaking the word, feeling it deep within your gut. Those are creative acts. You must be definite with the infinite. Because the allness and fullness of God is right where you are as you. Right now, regardless of whatever so-called problems and challenges you have in your life, omniscience, all wisdom, omnipotence, all power, omnipresence, all presence is fully present where you are. But it doesn't make a hill of beans difference if you don't have the consciousness to utilize it. That's what the New Thought Movement is trying to help people understand. That's why we focus so much on consciousness development. That's why we tell people that they have to monitor and direct their thinking and feeling. That's why we promote affirmative prayer, visualization, visioning, meditation so much. Because life is consciousness, as Emmett Fox wrote. Life is consciousness. And as I often tell people, you can't out-demonstrate your own consciousness. You just can't. Joel Goldsmith said, consciousness is what I am. M.A. Fox wrote, there's no such thing as undemonstrated understanding. Again, talking about consciousness. Johnny Coleman wrote, I am the thinker who thinks the thought that makes the thing. Again, talking about consciousness. Napoleon Hill wrote, as the mind of man can conceive and believe, it can achieve. Again, talking about consciousness. The book of Proverbs says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it comes the issues of life. Again, talking about consciousness. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, perfect, and acceptable. Again, talking about consciousness. Consciousness. Life is consciousness, and you have to get that basic understanding because when you understand that life is consciousness, you won't expect life to show up inconsistent with where you are in consciousness. 
You can say you want something really bad and still have fears, anxieties, and frustrations that interfere and disrupt your ability to produce good. You can have habits that interfere with your ability to produce good. You can have language, inner speech in your mind and outer language that that's inconsistent with what you say you want in life. So, Wayne Dyer went on the right. Your mind and your thoughts are also the thoughts of divine mind. Universal spirit is in your thoughts and in your free will. When you shift your thoughts from spirit to ego, you seem to lose contact with the power of intention. Your free will can either move you with universal spirit and it's unfolding or away from it toward ego dominance. That's a lot. Being a free will being means you have choice. In the Garden of Eden, it says, only eat of the true tree of life. Don't eat of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But Adam and Eve ate of the tree of good and evil, and they got the results of that. In metaphysics, that means stop the duality thinking. Keep your mind on God. Keep your mind on your good. Keep your mind on the wholeness that you're seeking to express. The goodness of God you're seeking to express. Don't get caught up in all of that duality thinking. Because when you eat of that fruit, when you contemplate those concepts, you fall. And then you feel as though your life is naked and ashamed. In other words, you feel ill-prepared to deal with your environment. So, uh, so much stuff, so much, so much. All right. So he went on the right. The truth is that we do not create anything alone. We're all creatures with God. Our free will combines and redistributes what's already created. You choose. Free will means that you have a choice to connect to spirit or not. So you have to look at yourself differently. And he wrote it this way. He said, basically, which are you talking about? Are you um, just a human being? Or are you the, I would say, an individualized expression of the one presence and one power that we call God? He says, which are you, matter or essence, physical or metaphysical, form or spirit? The answer is both even though they appear to be opposites. Do you have a free Do you have a free will? And are you a part of the destiny of intention? Yes. Fuse the dichotomy. All right. So I want to drill down on page 18, merging your individual thoughts with the universal mind. He wrote, Our individual thoughts create a prototype in the universal mind of intention. You and your power of intention are not separate. So when you form a thought within you that that, commensurates with spirit, you form a spiritual prototype that connects you to intention and sets into motion the manifestation of your desires. Whatever you wish to accomplish is an existing fact already present in spirit. Let me simplify that. Emmett Fox will call that the mental equivalent. So when you have mental clarity and conviction of feeling, you create a mental blueprint. And 
God as universal law, God as substance, or as Wayne Dyer is calling God, the power of intention, then takes that pattern to create in the physical, physical equivalent of what you're holding in consciousness. So it's important to be able to have the vision. All right. They get the vision and hold the vision and see it clearly in your mind. This is why visioning and visualization work so well when people do it right, properly, and consistently. What I mean, right. You have to get to the place to where not only are you seeing it, but you have the conviction of it, a knowing of it to the place where you can release it and know that it is done. Or as scripture says in Genesis, it was good. God, let there be light, et cetera, et cetera. And it was good. Let there be firmament, et cetera, et cetera. And it was good. And then when everything was finished, it was good and very good. So we have to image it. We have to hold the conviction. And then we have to proclaim it good and release it to do its perfect work. He quotes Jesus, Mark eleven twenty four, which I think is the scripture that tells the secret of prayer. Jesus is attributed to saying, all things whatsoever ye pray and ask for, believe that you have received them and ye, ye shall receive them. He uses the old King James version. Whatever you pray for, believe that you have received it or have it, and then you will have it. So you don't pray to get, you pray to know. There's a difference. You don't pray to get, you pray to know. I want to make sure we understand that. All right. So he gives five suggestions about implementing this chapter. This is what we're going to close out with today. Number one, whenever you fill out a source, loss, or even in a sour move, visualize the trolley hanging down from the field of, of intention three or four feet above your head. Imagine floating up and allowing the trolley to carry you to your building, to your built-in intention. This is a tool for implementing surrender in your life. So this is actually a visualization technique, just like I said. He's saying, visualize yourself being lifted up in the air to where you can grab a trolley and realize that there's already a way, already a power that's going toward your best and highest good. Hold on to that image. Some people image floating in the water and allowing the current to just take them to their good. They'll end up where they, instead of fighting against the current, they just relax and the current brings them back to the shore. It can be many things. Whatever imagery works for you, he's giving what works for him. What I'll say is this. If an image, image or imagery does not work for you, then don't use it. Use something else that matters to you. The reason why this trolley example works so well for Wayne Dyer is because it was his real-life experience. He was connected to it. His mother was connected to it. He was connected to it. He, it, it was real to him. If you don't have feeling connected to it, then it won't work. Again, going back to Reverend Ike, feeling gets the blessing. Neville would say feeling is the secret. I would say you got to feel it in your gut. Number two, say the word intent or intention repeatedly when you're in a state of anxiety or whenever, or excuse me, or when everything around you seems to have conspired to keep you from your mission. 
This is a reminder to be peaceful and calm. Intention is spirit, and spirit is silently blissful. All right, so this is just a technique. What, it, what I would call this is an interrupt or disrupt. So your mind is trending towards stuff that you don't like. You have to interrupt it. You have to disrupt that pattern of thinking. So he's saying intent or intention. When I was a kid, I didn't recognize that my mother would say, when she, when things she didn't like, she would say, cancel, cancel, order, order. She would say it almost every time she would get frustrated with something. Cancel, cancel, order, order. And as a little boy, I thought it was funny. Now I recognize that she was practicing principle. What she was saying is this. My mind is going where I really don't want to go. So I'm going to verbalize. Cancel, cancel, order, order. And what that did was it disrupted her thoughts so she could pull herself back to her center. I remember years ago when I was still working in the grocery business and I was we were closing the store. And, um, you know, so I was working in management and we had to, uh, you know, had to, the service desk is shutting down. The cashiers were gone. Had uh, people, you know, utility clerks putting up overstock, putting the stock back on the shelf. And all of this, and I felt myself feeling really bad. I mean, I was like, all this was going on at the same time. Cashiers are signing out. Service desk is counting down the money for the day, putting it in the safe, reconciling all of the funds. Baggers are cleaning up and putting back the overstock. And I, all of a sudden I had like the worst feeling and I couldn't figure out what was going on. So I left, told the head clerk, it's like, look, I got to leave. I need you to wrap this up for me. And I was driving home. And I was feeling so bad, I probably shouldn't even have been driving, to be honest, as I look back at this now. And as I was driving that 30 minutes or so home, I just kept saying to myself, literally these words, I and the Father are one, amen. 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 The whole drive home, when I got to a stoplight, I would close my eyes briefly, not long, and I would just go into it deeper. I am the Father, I want amen. I am the Father, I want amen. Then open it up, wait for the green light, go. When I got in, got home, got in, you know, took my clothes off, got in bed with my wife, was asleep, and all while I was going to sleep, I am the Father, I want amen. I am the Father, I want amen. I and the Father, I won. Amen. And when I woke up, I felt perfectly fine. Whatever was going on was gone. I kept my mind on what I wanted because I understood I had to disrupt not only how I was feeling, but the thoughts and feelings that I had about how my body was feeling. The Father and I are one. Amen. So number three is tell yourself that you have a life mission and a silent partner who's accessible at any moment you choose. He says, when ego defines you by what you have or do or compares you to others, use your power of free will to terminate those thoughts. Say to yourself, I'm here on purpose. I can accomplish anything I desire, and I do it by being in harmony with the all-pervading creative force in the universe. This will become an automatic way of responding to life synchronistic results will begin to happen. So in other words, you have to recognize that you're here on purpose. 
you know, when I was a kid, again, one of my, I've said this many times on this podcast, when I was a kid, one of my favorite movies was the Blues Brothers with, uh, with Belushi and Aykroyd, Dan Aykroyd and Jim, John Belushi, not Jim, John Belushi. And they would show up and they would tell people, I'm on a mission from God. I'm on a mission from God. And for those who haven't seen the movie, it's a classic movie. But the point of it is that I haven't watched it in a while. Actually, probably find out where's that being streamed and actually watch it. Have my daughter watch it with me. And then she'll probably be like, Dad, I, I don't get it. But anyway, I'm on a mission from God. I'm not just showing up. I'm just not doing work. I'm fulfilling my divine intention of the divine intention of my soul. So when other other stuff pops up, I should tell people all the time, because I don't care where you are, you can be at the best church, best organization, best everything. And I should tell folks all the time when little disrupts what happened in the ministry, I just remind myself, I'm not here for that. Because I knew why I was here and I know why I'm here. And it's not to get into uh, anything that's petty because I'm on a mission from God. Number four, act as if anything you desire is already here. Believe that all that you seek, you all have all, excuse me, let me start that over. Believe that all that you seek, you've already received, that it exists in spirit and know you shall have your desires filled. One of my 10 secrets for success and inner peace is treat yourself as if you already are what you like to become. So what this is basically saying is, it's not as much fake it till you make it, it's faith it until you make it. You got to see yourself as already there, even when you're not there. You got to see yourself there. Like literally. I was watching this documentary and uh, they were talking about the first song that really, that was like a rap song, hip hop song that was on where they were called wax on an album, not just somebody having cassette tape recordings or live, whatever, but an actual album. And that was the sugar Hill gang song rappers delight. And in Rappers Delight, it's a lot, a lot of story around that song and how we got created and how they found the rappers and, um, you know, Big Bank Hank using uh, Grandmaster Kaz's lyrics and all that, that I'm not going to get into. But one of the things that they talked about in the, in the lyrics was how they were bragging about, you know, you know, the, you know, the cars and the TVs and the going to see the Knicks play basketball and all this type of stuff. And these were poor African-American men in New York, they wrapped their way into that lifestyle. Like literally. Because they were, they were acting as if it already was. That's actually one of the things that when, when we understand the power of the spoken word, we understand and do something differently. Matter of fact, I remember hearing uh, Snoop Dogg talk about on the interview that he never got in trouble in his life until he started rapping about being in trouble, started rapping about shooting and murdering folks and whatever. And next thing you know, he's in a murder trial. You know, it's, it's it, how we use language matters. So these early hip hop people 
wrap themselves into the life that they saw in their minds. Principle is principle. So, you know, you know, and and that level, and I'm not getting this because not a podcast about classic hip hop, but that braggadocious style of rhyme where people rap about their greatness and who they are and what they have and what they can produce actually helps create the process of it. Anyway, so you should be speaking from the perspective of your desired life. Now, I'm not asking you to have um, champagne taste and beer money, which is basically meaning trying to finance a lifestyle that you don't have the money to finance. What I'm saying is allow yourself to think, feel, speak, and speak and act in alignment with the truth you're holding in your mind and allow it to carry you to the place to where you can have champagne taste and champagne money. We're using wisdom with what you do and how you do it. Number five, he says, copy this ancient Hasidic saying and carry it with you for a year. And he gives it and you can use it. Me, I wouldn't use this, I would use something else. But this is what his recommendation is. When you walk across the fields with your mind pure and holy, then from all the stones and all growing things and all animals, the spark of their soul comes out and clings to you. And then they are purified and become a holy fire in you. I would use something else that mattered more to me. See, I'm not a big believer that certain words automatically touch you. Why I would say find what touches you and then use it consistently. So consistent that, again, as it says, like it says in the book of Genesis, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. So we're going to wrap up the show right now. Um, next week, uh, well, the, I'm going to have some more podcasts coming, but the next chapter, because I'm going to, let me just stop here and say, I'm going to have times where I'm going to teach this book until I'm done. And then there are going to be times where I have interviews and other people where um, I'm going to be talking about whatever that subject is that I'm interviewing a, a guest about. And then I'm going to go right back to this book. So the next time I teach this book next week or the week after will be the seven faces of intention, which is chapter two of the book, the power of intention. So get the book, let's work with it. And just know yet again, it works. If you work it, God bless you. Life is hard, and sometimes you need a little help and guidance. I'm Laura West, host of a Guided Life podcast, and I believe that help is all around us. We just have to ask for it. The universe has a way of guiding us forward with the help of our past loved ones, angels, spirit guides, and ascended masters. On the podcast, I love to explore these ideas with incredible guests and let people know that they are never alone. Make sure you subscribe and follow so you can join me on this journey. 
part of the mindbodyspirit.fm network and wherever you get your podcasts.